0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link
1: in the show description to support now. The story you're about to hear is a true birth story. It's the real deal, and it may not be appropriate for sensitive ears. On today's episode,
0: They would put various herbs in my mouth. There was lots of physical touch, so lots of massages. They had me change positions a lot. Lots of walking, lots of deep lunges, which I was like, this feels really unfair. It feels like I'm working out and I don't like it. (laughs) At one point, I was laying down on a bed sheet, and there would be two women on either side picking me up and rocking, like, just vigorously shaking me back and forth, trying to stimulate baby to really come down more. It got to the point where you know it was very like push push here he comes here he comes we're in the final moment and I was like thank god thank god and I was feeling like you know euphoria I was like okay I, I'm doing it I'm doing it
1: Welcome to episode seven. Today's episode is a special treat for you because my guest is Heather Gallagher. She's not only a mom with a wild birth story, but she's also an award winning photojournalist based in Austin, Texas, who has captured some of the most moving images of the birth process that I have ever seen. She's seen a lot of births, y'all, and she's a certified birth and postpartum doula. And get this, she's also an end of life doula, which is something. I am in awe of. So cool. In this episode, Heather tells us what it's like to plan for a home birth, to have all your prenatal care with a midwife, and what it's like to be two and a half weeks overdue, and then labor at home with a whole team of midwives, but then suddenly face a dramatic emergency change to your birth plan. We also talk really candidly about breastfeeding, mastitis, mental health struggles, and much, much more. Apologies in advance that the quality Quality of the audio recording is not quite as good as what you're used to hearing on this show, but the quality of the interview is amazing. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Christy Williams, and this is Birth. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. Something I really appreciate about you is you're so vulnerable and open on your, on your public platform, and that's mm-hmm. so... For people who are scared to be vulnerable and open, yeah. or they don't feel safe to, to see someone else do that, it really brings light into the world and mm-hmm. hope. So thank you for that. Well, thank
0: you. Thank yeah, you. That's I why mean, I do it, because I feel like, yeah, I mean, I, I get very encouraged when I see and hear other people do the same, and it motivates me to keep doing that. It's like a muscle I have to keep flexing, yeah. or I have to keep like exercising, to be like, you know, to be vulnerable is to be the most human. And so and everybody's human. And so everybody has these emotions. And I understand all the nuances of why people would hide behind certain things and everything. I feel like if I had only seen somebody else being able to talk about this openly, maybe that experience wouldn't have been so hard for me, you yes. know?
1: Well, that's exactly why I'm doing this podcast. So thank you for that. Did you always know you wanted to be a mother or at what point in your life did that sort of awareness of like, maybe I want to have a kid come in?
0: Totally. Yeah. I was one of those kids, girls that I knew two things in life when I was young. And I mean, young meaning like, I mean, really young, probably like five, six. I knew that I wanted to be a photographer and I knew that I wanted to be a mom. I didn't know that I wanted to be married. I didn't know, you know, I did I it's not like I ever imagined like I'm going to be a mom regardless of if I'm a single mom or not like it wasn't like I'm going to get married and I never fantasized about my wedding or anything like that I think I just took for granted and assumed like I would have a family and like a quote you know kind of more stereotypical family where it's like a partner and a kid and a dog and like I have all those things now which is amazing I'm I'm living the dream (laughs) Um, but it's like I always I just always knew I wanted to be a mom I've always like adored children and and yeah, I've just always wanted to be a mom.
1: Oh, I love that. And yeah. and you've always wanted to be a photographer too. And so mm-hmm. like, I know you you photograph not just births, but you have photographed a lot of births, right? How many births yeah. would you say that you have witnessed at this point in your life?
0: You know, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I lost count after I hit the hundred mark a while ago, I lost count, but I would say I feel pretty confident now it's in between 150 and 200.
1: Wow. Wow. Does anything surprise you anymore or is all, is all of it like unique?
0: You know, I, I think that's what surprises me is that each birth is unique. Wow. You know, and it's, it does and it doesn't surprise me. It's maybe surprise isn't the right word. It's like, I'm always, I'm so fascinated and I'm so excited by the, the fact that like, even if, you know, a birth goes according to plan, air quotes, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. like according to your, like that individual's plan. Right, right. Because obviously birth is so unpredictable. And even if it's a quote textbook birth, you know, that can mean various things to various people. But let's say the quote unquote standard, which is not by any means my standard and probably not a lot of people's standard, but I think it is overall the standard in society Mm -hmm. of what that idea that's put out there of like, you're this laboring goddess (laughs) and... (laughs) And like you're in your full power, which like no doubt you are, but the image that we're we're sold is that like you're in control of everything. And it's like,
1: uh you're sure. Sure. But if my full power is complete chaos and you know, yeah, that's great.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But it's just like, you know, I think we're bought and sold this this image of or you know, the goal for many people is like to have this unmedicated vaginal birth Mm -hmm. and everything's peaceful and it's all love and like it's this amazing best moment of your life and like I don't want to diminish anybody who has had that experience that's amazing you know Mm -hmm. but it is I will say the majority of the births I've witnessed and including my own birth it was like yes in hindsight I'm like wow I can't believe I did that that was incredible but also I can put myself back in that moment at any time and I can be like that was a shit show. Yes. Like literally and figuratively, because I shit all over the bed, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it was a shit show. Yeah. I did not feel like my divine feminine. I did not feel like I was in control. I felt like I was going to die, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: It's very extreme. And I think that I sort of had that, that same idea of like, oh, this is going to be a calm, no matter if you have... An epidural or not, like you know, I had yeah. complications with my epidural, mm-hmm. and it did not go the way that I expected either. So I think that's sort of the interesting thing is literally you don't know what you're going to get until it until it happens. Totally,
0: yeah. And I think that's the thing that I'm constantly in awe of with all the births that I witness, where it's like I've seen so many variations of birth and so many variations of of what's considered normal, and I've seen so many emergency situations, and each mm-hmm. one has own unique uh, situation around it, and obviously because of the birthing persons, they what they bring into it. You know their emotional, um, the emotional space and their history that they bring into it. Everything is so unique, mm-hmm. um, and that's what really fascinates me about birth. It's not one size fits all at all.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. yes yeah. It's amazing. So when you were a little girl, you're like, I'm going to be a mom someday. <laughs> Fast forward, you meet. The love of your life, and then you decide. Okay, what? What was your conception journey?
0: What happened oh, yeah. to get to so, the baby? Yeah, we very intentionally um, tried to have a, a you know a kid, and like so, it's funny. My husband and I lived in New York for some time together, and then we decided to leave New York for multiple reasons. But the main reasons were because. We knew that we wanted to have a family mm. He's someone that always has wanted to be a father mm. Yeah and that was a main reason Why we married We were so sure of marrying And marrying so quickly and marrying so young And like we were just like we are on the same wavelength
1: How old were you when you got married? 23 Oh wow yeah you were young Yeah
0: was a baby Yeah. And we met when I was 20 and, or 21. And it was just very, you know, yeah. (laughs) It was it. That's so amazing. That was it. Yeah. And so we ended up in Austin and we've been here for about nine years now. So let's see. I was 27 when I got pregnant. And so we started with the, you know, conception journey very intentionally. And it wasn't because we necessarily wanted to have a baby right then. It wasn't like, I was like, oh my God, I'm like, you know, my mid late 20s. Like, I wasn't freaking about that. My mom was 40 when she had me. Mm. I knew I had like a life ahead of me. Like, I wasn't like, we have to, but... Um, what I was worried about for my own reasons was, so I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people can relate to this. For me, when I want something really bad, Mm. my first fear is I'm never going to get it. Mm -hmm, And so since I wanted, since I've always known I wanted to be a mom, I had convinced myself that I would have really, a really hard time getting pregnant if I was able to get pregnant at all. It's not because of there being any history in my family that I'm aware of, of Having a hard time conceiving or anything like that, um, but it, a funny side story is like I had lived abroad in Australia for a year, a study abroad, a year in college. Um, and while I was there, the woman I lived with was really into psychics. And she took me to her psychic one day. And I was one of those people who I was like, I'm not going to give you any information about myself. I'm holding my cards really <laughs> tight. I want to, like, make you work. And so I really was very tight-lipped about everything. And I have the whole conversation recorded on, like, a cassette tape, actually. It's great. And at one point during our chat, she just grabs my wrist and she goes, don't worry. You can have a baby. And at the time, I was 18. Wow. And I wasn't even thinking about babies mm-hmm. but it was just something that like deep in my soul it was like my little secret and my little fear that like I'm I just fear because I want it so bad that I'm it's gonna be hard for me. Mm-hmm. Who knows what that the root of that is but anyways so that was my reason for wanting to start with a baby earlier than later because I was just like I just feel like it's gonna be a journey you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I wanted to give some time. And it's funny, it's for the first, I mean, realistically, we didn't try that hard um, or for that long. It was probably a couple months of very intentionally trying and pregnancy test after pregnancy test coming up negative. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm proving myself right. I was like, why wouldn't I be able to get pregnant right away? I'm a young, you know, healthy person, blah, blah, blah. Um, so then we decided to take a break, not because I was like getting too, too stressed about it, but it was wedding season for our friends uh-huh. <laughs> and we were going to be traveling a lot. And I was like, let's be honest, I'm going to be drinking a lot mm-hmm. and I don't want to be worried about this. Mm-hmm. And that's what did it. Like we went back to New York for, uh, my best friend from college's wedding and, you know, we partied and we had fun and we didn't worry. I didn't worry about what my intake was in any way. You weren't tracking like your ovulation or anything. You're just like, forget it. Love it. And when we got back to Austin, I realized that I was late and I was someone that was like rarely late. Mm. Then I took a test and it was positive. And I was like, holy shit. And then I was nervous because I was like, oh my God, I drank so much booze. is this baby gonna be okay? And Uh, I mean, it's six years later now, he's fine. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh, no, totally. Come on. Totally. Uh, That's so funny. I know, but I get that that mental um, pressure that a lot of women and myself included have put on yourself, you know, it's like, from the moment of conception, it kind of sinks in, you go, Oh, okay. Yeah. So how was your pregnancy? Then? how did it go?
0: It was okay. I had a pretty typical, like brutal first trimester where I was just nauseous Mm. the whole time. And it was the kind where I always felt like I was going to vomit, but mm-hmm. never actually did, which mm-hmm. is almost the worst because you want that satisfaction.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh-huh. um, it
0: was like being hungover without the fun the night before. Oh, totally. And it was just like, you get the spins and like, and you can't hold anything down and nothing is appetizing yet. You have to eat. Yeah. And so that was pretty brutal. But like in hindsight, you know, it could have been much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I had slight heartburn throughout, but for the most part, it was a really, really smooth pregnancy. I was very lucky. Yeah, I gained a ton of weight though. I gained about eighty pounds.
1: Oh wow! <laughs> How did that make you feel? Were you were you stressed it made about me it or feel
0: disgusting? Oh, okay. Yeah, and I I'm someone that's always had weight issues. I've always and it's I've never been a dieter or anything, but I'm someone who just because of like where I was in my life, metabolism wise or just activity wise you know, it's funny, you look back at pictures of yourself when you're younger, I don't know about you, but like, for me, and I was just like, I can't believe I thought I like, I used to be like, Oh, my God, I'm so fat. And I look back at pictures of myself when I was 20. And I was like, are you kidding? I was like the teeniest thing in the world. I know. And so it's like a body dysmorphia thing. Yes. But then I've also had times where I was, I had gotten much bigger just throughout my teenage years. I, you know, I've been anywhere between a size double zero and a size 20. My body is capable of growing and shrinking so much. Right. And so when I did gain that 80 pounds, I knew I was going to gain some weight with my pregnancy. Um, but my midwife, because I I had a um a midwife because I had attempted a home birth.
1: Oh, that's what, okay, we're gonna get there. I'm excited yeah, to hear yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
0: but my midwife was very like, okay, you need to watch your weight. And I'm someone who's very sensitive about I don't like to restrict myself. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of diet culture. I'm not a fan of body shaming. I mm-hmm. don't think fat is a bad word. But I was feeling out of control because I was like, I'm just physically so hungry. Mm. I don't know how to curb this. You know, I just felt totally out of control. And that's what was like, disgusting or scary to me, Mm -hmm. where I was like, I can't control myself. I don't see where this is going. And like, Mm -hmm. I almost felt like I wasn't in the driver's seat of my own body.
1: Right. Which is kind of like pregnancy and postpartum anyway, but you had this Mm -hmm. additional thing with your weight which sounds like even it's like adding an insult to the injury almost
0: (laughs) you know yeah and then I have my midwife like confirming that Hmm. because you know then you have all this self-talk where you're like oh actually you're fine you're fine but then you have your midwife being like actually we need to like really slow it down if you want to get this baby out successfully you know and I was like oh crap you know (laughs) Um, and then fast forward he was two and a half weeks over his due date
1: Oh, and my goodness. So, wow. Yeah.
0: yeah, And okay. it was like in the middle of May in Texas summer. Oh. And I was just like, all of this is adding up to be very scary for lots of reasons and right. it's gonna be miserable you know <laughs> right
1: so tell me as you're approaching your due date you're you have a birth plan that is to give birth at home
0: yeah completely unmedicated um un, you know no no intervention
1: right and um, your all your prenatal care was with the midwife or did you ever yes. go to an OB okay so all no, of it never is- went to
0: a, never went to an OB I only had one we had the one 20 week scan uh-huh. but aside from that no sonograms wow and you felt very confident about
1: that choice. And yeah, had you had, you had experience, I don't know at what point you started photographing births, you mm-hmm. know, but was this after that? Had you already experienced a lot of birth before this, you got pregnant yourself or? So
0: yeah, funnily enough, I, so I had started photographing births in 2011 okay. and I was pregnant in 2014. Okay. And so I had, I had experience documenting births, but I'll be honest, I didn't know about birds, really. Like, Mm. I was there as a documentarian. Now I feel confident calling myself a birth worker. Mm -hmm. Um, And not necessarily because I have the doula component now, but because I have, A, been through the birth process, and so I understand things more. I've also been through doula training. But even before I had gone through the official doula training and everything, I took it upon myself to learn more about the birth process and to just to just really learn more about it. And so I could really understand what was happening instead of just being kind of this completely unobjective documentarian.
1: Right, right. So your prenatal care is with the midwife and then you're planning to give birth at home. Mm-hmm. Your due date is approaching. How did the birth go? What what happened?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's see. His original due date was late April. And so uh, about a week or two prior to his due date, my whole family, both sides came into town, oh, which, no. <laughs> yeah, which for me, I say whole family, it was my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law, I think at one point, I can't remember now, I want to say at one point, my brother-in-law. Um, who I don't really have a great relationship with, and uh-huh. and then uh, it was my mom and dad, and for a short time my brother came, and basically they all just sat and like stared and waited. Right, and that's and the
1: worst because you're already you're already anxious about. It's like you you don't have control over po- when you can pop this baby out, right? So it's like yes. when you're being watched, it feels overwhelming. Probably especially was it the first grandchild on both sides?
0: For both sides. Oh yes. boy. Okay. Yes, yeah, so there was all that pressure to and excitement, and like I get it, I totally get that they were excited and everything. But like I do think that that had a lot to do with him not coming sooner, mm-hmm. with my with not being born sooner. I had so much anxiety, and I'm someone who even when I'm not pregnant. I have so much anxiety specifically around um, feeling like someone's waiting for me.
1: Oh, oh, yeah. I identify with that. Yeah. Really? I do. Yeah. yeah,
0: I, I get so anxious if someone is waiting for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I just know that it's true. And so to have like six humans waiting for me and just like, just checking in. And I'm like, I got nothing to report. And so, you know- If anybody takes anything away from this episode, it's like, if you have a loved one who's pregnant, like, just, just let them tell you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially if it's close to their due date, like, don't ask. If the baby's here, yet, yeah. leave them alone. You know, like just leave them alone. They are stressed enough. Yeah. If they want to share that information with you, they will. You know, obviously, you know your relationships with that person more. And mm-hmm. so, but like I will say, in the majority of, of cases I've witnessed as like a birth worker, I hear so many times a pregnant person is like, I just wish my family and my friends would leave me alone. And it's like, Yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you don't love them but it's just like you you don't want to disappoint them you know
1: right right so yeah. besides the anxiety of the family being you know watching you constantly did you feel otherwise pretty prepared and did you feel like you knew what you were in for did you, yeah, you- I did
0: do a birthing from within class okay uh-huh. it was an in-person class over a series of weeks but aside from that no like I didn't read any books I didn't read um Any blogs or anything like that. And I will say it was very intentional that I didn't do those things because I am someone who and like, I'm not knocking anybody who does plan that way or has. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like parenting and birth is such a natural thing. Mm -hmm. for me, like I've read books since just as someone who's in the birth space professionally, just to see what my clients are learning or my loved ones are learning and all that. And like, I don't necessarily disagree with some of these things. And like, they can be useful in terms of like specific methods for feeding and stuff like that, because you don't know what you don't know. But for me, I'm a very intuitive person. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted at least to to like just give myself a fair shake at like not having all this external, like I just wanted to have my life experience and like me as a person guide me.
1: Right, you wanted to live in your instinct, sounds like. Totally, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, and so that's what we did. And so we fumbled our way through many things and are still <laughs> fumbling our way through many things.
1: Right, right.
0: Yeah. But yes, in terms of the birth itself, he was ultimately born on May 15th in the morning. So it was on the evening of May 14th in okay. 2014. Um, and it was late at night. I couldn't sleep. I was massive. I was so uncomfortable. I was so angry yeah. that I was pregnant.
1: Sorry, can I interrupt one second? I'm just wondering what your midwife was telling you as you are continuing to be late. Mm. You said it was two and a half weeks late?
0: Yes. So yeah.
1: so what was the plan if he wasn't going to come soon? Were you going to totally. have to get induced or what was the- Yeah,
0: good question. So another reason I, like, I was angry because I was personally frustrated that he wasn't born yet, but I wasn't feeling any pressure from her, my midwife, because- I had full, and still do, full faith in her. She is someone who came very highly recommended. Her name's G.B. Kalsa, and she's incredible. She's very well-known in the home birth space, specifically in Austin, but I would not be surprised if she's known in a broader way. She's been delivering babies, at least in Austin, for over 30 years always as a home birth midwife. Um, She delivered like many of her own grandchildren. Oh my Um, gosh. I know, which is so wild. She said that was actually really hard for her. I'm sure just emotionally, you know, just to see her children going through labor. Oh yeah. But I just think that's so amazing. And she is someone who like, I mean, it's the stereotypical. She wears the, like the gauzy, like colored, like <laughs> think like Eileen Fisher, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. everything yeah. smells good. She always smells like essential oils. And like, mm-hmm. I am just in love with her, but I just trusted her and still do implicitly, you know? Yeah. And that, I think that's really important to how, whatever your choices and your care provider. Yeah. And if you choose the free birth, there has to be trust. So mm-hmm. you either completely trust yourself or you have to completely trust your midwife, your OB, you know, Whoever is there to help you. And so I really fully trusted in her to guide me.
1: Wait. It's time for Fun Facts You Didn't Know About Giving Birth. Let's talk about fundal massage. After you deliver your baby, you will complete the third stage of labor, which is delivering the placenta. And after the placenta has been delivered, it is very common practice for your nurse or midwife to come and push very hard on your belly. This is called a fundal massage. Heads up though, uh this is not a pleasant massage. It can be painful. Why do they do this? Well, your uterus is a large sack of muscles, and after your precious little human being has been ejected from this large sack of muscles, it needs to contract back down to his pre-pregnancy size. Yes, you heard me. You will still be experiencing contractions after giving birth, sometimes for several days, although these postpartum contractions feel more like period cramps than labor contractions. And the reason that your nurse or midwife may perform a fundal massage is to manage and possibly prevent postpartum hemorrhage or excessive blood loss. When they push on your belly, they are assessing how firm your uterus is, where it's located, if it appears to be contracting properly. And during all this, they will also be monitoring how much you are bleeding into your pad. Basically, they just want to make sure you are safe and you're losing the proper amount of blood and that there's nothing to be concerned about. Typically, a fundal massage is done after both vaginal and cesarean births, so it doesn't matter what kind of birth you have, and it's usually performed every 15 minutes for the first two hours after your birth. My personal experience with fundal massage is that it was very uncomfortable and a little painful, but not unbearable. And the good news is that it was over really quick. Some women do think that this is a very painful experience, but that's birth for you. Every woman experiences it differently. It's a great idea to ask your doctor or midwife about this practice and find out more. Remember, you are always in control of what is done to your body at any point, and the choice to opt in or opt out of any procedure is always yours. It's a good idea to know if and why a funnel massage is practiced by your chosen delivery team. So add it to your list of questions to discuss with your care provider. And now back to the show. So you're late. So was she telling you?
0: She was definitely concerned about his size, but she wasn't concerned about the timeline of it. She kept reminding me, "Your due date is just a guest date. You know, it's not exact. It's not an exact science, which is true, especially because I never went and got sonograms or anything like that. You know.
1: Oh, right. So they didn't really measure the embryo in the beginning no. to tell you your due date. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so
0: then she was saying like he'll come when he's ready. Right. And, or they'll come when he's ready. Cause we didn't know if he was going to be a boy or a girl at the time. Um, oh my
1: gosh. That's so crazy. I didn't even think of yeah. asking you that. So it was yeah. a complete surprise. It was a complete surprise. Yeah.
0: When we did that one 20 week scan, we didn't, and again, it was like a guest 20 week scan, but it was probably pretty, you know, relatively accurate give or take. Yeah. You know, we specifically asked not to be told the gender because to us, it didn't, I mean, obviously it doesn't matter. You, right. You can't right. Right. It. I didn't want to have any influences and I definitely didn't want my family to have any influences because Uh, like, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyways. So yeah, she wasn't too worried about the timeline of the birth, but she did say, yeah, if it goes like over three weeks, then we'll talk about some induction methods. Mm -hmm. But it was never like, okay, at this point, then we got to go to the hospital. She was just like, you'll be fine. You're a healthy, young person. It's going to be a big baby. Yeah. But, like, you can do this. You were fine. And also, like, uh, her confidence in that made me feel really confident, you know? Okay. Uh-huh. So, then, anyways, cut to uh, the for- the evening of the 14th. I was just having really difficulty sleeping. It was really late at night. Tim and I were fighting about who knows what. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm going to go on a walk. And I took our dog on a walk. And oh, I'd also remembered that throughout my pregnancy, but especially towards the end stages, uh, GB was like, um, Don't worry. Don't worry. The full moon is coming. And that oh. was actually.
1: I, that's I such was, a great I, thing for her to tell you.
0: <laughs> I know, but that was actually the only thing she's ever said to me that made me question like her sanity oh. because like I've never really I hadn't been like that kind of person who really like I'd heard people say that right, but I always right. turned it off as like
1: okay. right. right. You know? But you know, what's funny is in, I, cause I gave birth in a hospital and I was there for uh, a long time. So I saw a lot of nurses and they, I heard a couple of them say Oh, full moon, lots of people coming uh, in on. to give baby birth tonight. And I, so it's like, not just midwives who are saying this oh, apparently.
0: Totally, yeah, absolutely. And I've since learned like, it's a thing. It's a real thing, you know? Mm. But when she said it, I was just like, oh, have I fully put my faith in like, a crazy person uh, yeah. but i was like we're in the end game now like what am i gonna do you know so anyways we're i'm going on a walk late at night with our dog and i'm just like mad I'm mad about everything and i'm like get this fucking baby out of me and i look up and i was like oh it's the full moon and i remember like just screaming like cursing at the full moon i was like fuck you full moon you're <laughs> supposed to get this baby out like blah blah, blah. and i was just like yeah right so then I get home and I like plop down on the couch and I'm just so over everything. And I remember I get up because I think I have to pee. And when I get up, the couch is just soaked. Oh, and wow. Tim was like, Oh my God, did you pee yourself? And I looked down and I was like, I don't think so. And it took me a minute and I was like, Oh my God, I think my water broke. Mm. And when I stood up, it was just gushing out of me all oh, over wow. the time. So, so
1: it, it like broke. Causing, broke.
0: Like, Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. And we had like a microfiber couch and it was like a light color. So it was like really (laughs) visible. It's all over the tile floor. Um, It's like kind of becoming hazardous because it's like slippery. The dog's licking it up. And I was just like, oh my God. Oh my God. And I remember like, I'm grabbing Tim and I was like, okay, thank God. I think the baby's coming. And I was like, but I'm so mad at you right now. I don't have any recollection what our fight was about, but in the moment hormonal and also, you know, For, you know, I was mad. I don't remember why, but at the time I was very mad. I was like, <laughs> I do not want to be fighting during labor. I don't want to have all this bad energy during labor. And so he we, he was like, should we just put a pin in it? I was like, let's put a pin in it. Um, like, we <laughs> can't it. carry this energy into this, you know? Um, but I just remember that very distinctly where I was like, this is like a, a real moment for us right now. Like we're either going to make it or we're not going to make it. And I'm not going to let our marriage break on the day <laughs> I'm having our baby. Like, are you kidding yeah. me? You know what I mean? I yeah. just felt so, I felt like everything was riding on that moment. Mm. Um, to just, I, cause I had to feel emotionally safe, you know? Of course. Um, so anyway. Yeah. So he starts blowing up the, the birthing pool and, oh no, no, first he calls the midwife um she's like what's going on and he was like okay he explained he was like her water broke and she is very chill and she lives about 45 minutes away Mm -hmm. and it was the middle of the night so there wouldn't have been traffic but she was like okay she was like sounds good um it's i think it's gonna be a while still like she puts me on the phone she's like tell me how you're feeling um And I was like, I'm feeling okay right now. I think I was like, it's more just adrenaline, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And And you were
1: contracting yet? Sorry to jump in, but-
0: not not yet, but very soon after I started. Okay. Uh, Very soon after. And that's what prompted her to actually come- out right away so at first right. the initial phone call she was like okay she was like i'm gonna get a little bit more rest i'm gonna keep the phone right next to me she was like you just kind of breathe through things try you try to get some rest too she's like she's telling me to go get try to get some more rest mm-hmm. which now as a birth worker i know that that is highly recommended yeah. but in the moment i was like how am i supposed to just go to bed right now yeah. like, that feels crazy um But anyway, so we got off the phone and that was going to be the plan. It was like, call if anything changes. We called back within like five minutes because my contractions started and they started really intensely. And so then she came right out. And by the time she got out, I was already in the birthing pool having massive contractions and they were really, really close together. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so like, I kind of went just from zero to a hundred. Mm hmm. And I remember I was vomiting a lot in the pool. Mm. Yeah. And she had the skimmer and skimming it out. And I was just thinking that was the beginning of me thinking I was like, this is gonna be brutal. Oh. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm not gonna have a pretty birth. Like, I just knew it.
1: Yeah. And that was okay.
0: I mean, like, I was like, okay, it's fine. Like, and I wasn't worried, you know, there's some people and I don't judge it at all, but like I've seen people who are like, I don't want my partner to see me vomiting or going to the bathroom or anything like that. Right. You know? Some
1: women are very afraid, very afraid of pooping
0: uh, Yes,
1: and in front of their partner or even in front of their yeah. doctor. And it's sort totally. of like a big thing to get past. But I mean, it's yes. such a natural process of your body to like, get rid I of totally these. totally get it.
0: Yeah. Yes. Like for me, it was not an issue, but right. I remember telling myself, I was like, it really has to not be an issue. Right. You know, it's not like accidentally slipping out a fart at like a party. It's like, right. you know, it's like, okay, we're going to just like, we are married. Like, right. Let's go. That's what you it know? is.
1: You know, because like the first kid, and I've only had one kid, yeah. but, uh, you know, the first time you think that you're very, very vulnerable with your partner, but really when you start to give birth, you realize like, oh, my partner's about to see me get vulnerable. And it feels a little unfair. I felt like it was a little unfair. (laughs) I was like, what? You have to see me like this and I I probably will never see you in this way. But that's what (laughs) marriage is. It's just, you know, you have to let go a little bit.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's
1: great, though, that you made that decision and you were like, "I'm cool (laughs) with it. It doesn't matter. Let's go." You know, because that's kind of. I think I
0: had to like say it out loud. I mean, like Tim and I are very comfortable with each other, but I remember saying it out loud. I was like, "This is gonna get messy." And Tim was just like, okay, here we go. Like I got towels, I got sheets. I I
1: love that. So he was like, no big deal. I'm here for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't like, oh, okay. He was like, okay, let's do it. Like he was in it. And I was like, okay. And so it was a, you know, it feels like it's forever when you're in the middle of it. But in total, I labored at home for about eight hours And at certain points, like I did actually, I was able to like take little naps throughout.
1: Oh, wow. Um, So you weren't contracting, like how was the pain management then? If you were able to take naps, was it really...
0: It was a lot, okay. my midwife said, you know, in the moment they're being very encouraging, but they're like you have a very high threshold, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was able to rest through contractions. They were constantly like just being like open your mouth they would they would put various herbs in my mouth mm-hmm. and there would be you know there's lots of physical touch, so lots of massages, mm-hmm. lots of uh, you know are you familiar with the riboso riboso yeah, uh, it's like a
1: yeah. um, sc- almost like a scarf kind of yes long- going around
0: your hips and your mm-hmm. sacrum and like kind of shaking. Mm-hmm. It's a traditional method, and uh, who is it? Who was had-
1: there? Sorry, I'm sorry. Who was in the room? Was it just your midwife and your and your oh, husband? And,
0: like I don't remember when they came because I was kind of going in and out of napping mm-hmm. or just like in my own space, mm-hmm. like in my own head. Yeah. But it started off with just him, and then it grew to Tim and Gb, um, and then eventually Gb had called in Ulrika, who was her uh, apprentice at the time. Okay, and then eventually they called in two more. Uh. Um, assistant midwives uh, slash doulas to come and assist. And I think it was also to just because I had called in the middle of the night, I think it was also to allow the two main women. So GB and her partner to take some rest, mm. you know, and replenish and everything, because they're like, it could be a long labor, yeah uh, which I totally understand. They have to tap each other out. So you, you felt supported. Uh, incredibly supported. Okay, yes. great. Let's see. So they had me change positions a lot, there's lots of walking, lots of deep lunges, which I was like, this feels really unfair. It feels like I'm working out and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or we had a piano in our house at the time and Gibi would have me put my leg, like we would close it so the keys were covered on the piano, but mm-hmm. she would have me put my leg up on the like, where the piano keys are, um, which is a pretty deep thing and like really lean into it. Kind of like a standing pigeon pose, you know, oh, wow. for yoga. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... I was just like, oh my God, this is insane. At one point I was laying down on the, on a bed sheet and, um, there would be two women on either side picking me up and rocking, like it it felt, I say violent, not because it was like, um, painful or anything Mm -hmm. like that, but it felt like just vigorously shaking me back and forth, trying to stimulate baby to come really come down more. Yeah. Um, They broke out the rope at one time. The rope. Yeah. So I was laying on the bed on my back, sitting up in that kind of like classic pose. And I'm holding a rope in between my legs. Like I think like a thick, like tug of war rope. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm holding it. Tim's behind me, just kind of supporting me. But it's really about me holding it and like exerting as much counter um, resistance. Yeah. And then there was two women on the other side of the rope pulling. And so while I'm doing that, I'm pushing.
1: Pushing. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay,
0: and it's really helpful. And, You know, in a hospital, they might have the bar. That yeah, comes but, up yeah. Mm-hmm. The bar and really kind of use that as like resistance to yes. help push. Uh-huh. Um, and so it got, to, and I was on the birthing stool at some point. It got to the point where you know it was very like push, push. Here he comes! Here he comes! We're in the final moment, and I was like, "Thank God! Thank God!" And I was feeling like you know, euphoria. I was like, okay, I, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Right. And at one point, GB takes my hand in an encouraging way. And she was like, do you want to feel him? And I was like, oh my God, he's coming. And so she brings my hand down and I can feel his hair. Oh, and I was wow. like, holy shit. Like, that's amazing. And that gave me the extra adrenaline because you're so exhausted, you know, yeah. and like your throat feels like sandpaper and like, you're just so tired. And I was like, oh my God, I can do it. It was like within seconds of after her, um of me touching his head where she was like everything like the energy shifted and she goes and she comes over and she like leans down I'm laying on the bed just kind of recuperating before I have to push again and she leans down and she goes hey Heather we have to go to the hospital right now and I was like and I was like I'm sorry what like what are you talking about like he's here and she was like and she was trying to remain calm. She was like, she was like, you know what? He's almost here, but we just need some extra help and we gotta go to the hospital. She was like, right now. And I was like, okay, um, okay. And so I- I don't even remember how I was feeling. I was so confused, but again, I was like, okay, I trust you. If you say we got to go, we got to go. Like I didn't have time to be disappointed. I didn't have time to ask questions. And like, she mm-hmm. was making a certain eye contact with Tim where like Tim was just in like, okay, let's do it. You know? Yeah. And yeah. okay. So I was so confident that I was going to have a home birth. Um, I was a little cocky about it. If I like in retrospect, like yeah. I didn't pack a hospital bag as a plan B. Mm. I didn't make a birth plan to bring to the hospital as like mm. a backup. I didn't have any of my wishes. Like if I end up in a hospital or even like at the home birth because everything had been verbally communicated to do. So GB knew what ultimately my wishes were, which is to keep the placenta, yeah. to have delayed cord clamping if possible, to have immediate skin to skin, to try to breastfeed as soon as possible. Um, all of that. But I never put that on paper, and, mm-hmm. and and so as we're going to the hospital, I was just like, "Oh my god, nope. And like Tim was, Tim was because I know Tim, he was doing very well at containing his his fear. Yeah, it sounds terrifying. His, like, Oof. He was terrified. We've talked about it since, obviously, but in the moment, he was just like acting as if he. Not that he knew what was going on, but he was just an autopilot, you know? Yeah. So um, I say all of those things about how I didn't have all of those things in plan or in place because it was like, I was butt naked birthing at home. And before I know it, Tim just says, put your arms up. And he throws this uh, maternity dress over me. Mm-hmm. And I realized it later. And, you know, it's funny, like you, when you're in the middle of like a, an intense situation, sometimes you notice the most random things, you know? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. You know?
0: And mm-hmm. so I remember like, I was a black, like old Navy maternity long dress. And I remember looking down and it was just covered in dog hair. And I was thinking, I was like, oh, my God, Tim got this out of the dirty laundry. (laughs) Like, (laughs) but I mean, like, you know, I wasn't mad. I was just like, oh, my God. And I noticed it when I um, so we had a, a, a Volkswagen Jetta at the time and it was just a little beat up car. And it was like our commuter car. Yeah. And well, we had two cars, and that was the one that I mainly drove. But because I was so heavily pregnant and not necessarily working so much in the end stages of my pregnancy, the car was a mess. Mm. Uh, and we didn't think, hey, let's have one car ready to go, nice and clean, lots of room in it, full tank of gas, just in case something happened. We didn't think about any of this yeah. at all. So the car was like filled with just who knows what gym bags old mail, you know, random boxes that haven't gone to the post office yet. And that was an issue or I mean, it was fine ultimately, but it was just like it was one of those things where I was like, oh, my God, all the things I you know, you think about all the things you plan for, but then it's like all the things you didn't plan for mm-hmm. because GB hooks me up to a uh, air tank to help me with breathing and everything. Is she in the Which car with I, you on the way? She's in the so Tim throws the dress over me. Uh-huh. We go outside and I remember it's like 7:30 in the morning. And so it's like bright and I had been in my house dark all the blinds drawn completely dark hole for so long and I go out and I was just like oh my god the sun and it's just two people Tim's on one side GB's on the other she's holding the air tank I have a mask on my mouth and I'm just waddling because I can feel his head in between me uh I'm waddling to the car and I'm thinking, and I'm probably saying out loud, he's going to fall out. He's going to fall mm-hmm. out. And Jimmy's like, don't worry. He's not going to fall out, but I'm just panicked. And yeah. so they open the car door. Gibi's like, which car? Cause we had two. Tim's like, Oh, let's take this one. We open the back seat of the car and it's, there's just trash everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck. And like, Gibi just shoves everything over and tries to make as much room as possible. And, we we go, she sits in she scoots in the furthest over and then I lay down with my head opposite her and my legs I'm so I'm laying on my side I'm side laying um, I'm facing the back of the driver or the passenger seat. And my legs are on top of her legs, and she's just rubbing my thighs and just saying really encouraging things to me, like "You got this. We just need a little extra help. Everything's gonna be okay. Your baby's fine." And she's constantly like checking. She has her uh, travel Doppler, so she's able to check on his heartbeat. Okay, good. And she's like, she's like, she's like, "We're okay, but we do have to get there." quick. And she calls on herself to the hospital to give the ER a heads up. Hey, I'm, we're on our way. We're going to be there in like five minutes. Cause luckily we lived really close. So you're going straight and, to uh, the ER.
1: You're not even dealing straight with- to the
0: ER. Okay. Um, Tim's driving and he's just like, I don't know if he's going through red lights or he's just luckily avoiding them, but like normally door to door, it would probably take like 12, 15 minutes to get there. We get there in like seven minutes, you right. know? Mm-hmm. And, um, Luckily it was like early enough in the morning that like it wasn't high traffic yet, but it was a weekday. And I'll never forget where, um, so no, we must've been stopped at a sign or a red light. No, it must've been a light because there was a car next to us at one point. GB has, so I'm laying down. She has my top leg thrown over her shoulder Mm -hmm. and my dress hiked up. So I'm essentially just bottomless. I'm not wearing underwear, obviously. And obviously she, Uh, obviously (laughs) and she is checking you know checking him checking me and I look over again you notice the strangest things and you look I look over and there's like a semi truck that's high up and like he can see and I just remember thinking huh that guy can see into my vagina right now like (laughs) (laughs) like hello good morning like we're right side by side And like, I don't even remember if he actually was looking, but I was like, if he just looks over here, wow, he's Mm going to get a world of like.
1: (laughs) What a moment. Oh my god. What a
0: moment. And I just remember thinking, I have absolutely no control in this moment. And I just like had to surrender. And it was the scariest thing ever. And the whole time she's saying, don't push. And the contractions are coming. Mm. And I don't know about how your birth was, but like it felt impossible to not push when the contraction comes. Like she was like, resist, resist. Like Mm -hmm. she was, you know, telling me to breathe a certain way. And she was almost like yelling at me. She was like, I said, don't push. And I was like, I didn't think I was like, I, I, I don't even know what's happening right Mm -hmm. now. You know, so we get to the hospital immediately. They put me on a gurney in the driveway. um, And I feel like, Oh my God, he's coming right now. He's coming right now. They get me in and it's like more bright, you know, fluorescent lights. And mm. I'm just like, holy shit. And Tim's gone. I can't see Tim. And it took me a while to realize he was parking. But I was mm. just like, I had the mask on and I was just like, oh my God. And GB's right there. She's holding my hand. They get into the ER and there is this female doctor who comes up to me. She has a short blonde, um, really short bob cut And she just was really striking. She's, like, Mm. A, very beautiful, but, like, just, like, her features, like, her hair was, like, really sharply cut. She was very angular, Mm. you know. And she had this, like, thick, maybe, like, Russian block, like, Eastern block accent. And GB kind of, like, she just kind of, like, taps me and signals to me just kind of uh, visually that, like, she's going to step, like, GB's going to step away now. And now I'm in this, the hospital's care. But GB's like, I'm not leaving. But now, like, I don't have any authority here, you know. Right. So this doctor gets in my face. She basically is like nose to nose with me. Like she's not actually touching, but she's like right in my face. And it's because I had so much adrenaline. She needed me to focus right on her.
1: Right, right. And
0: in her thick accent, I remember I'm all like, I felt all alone, but not in a scary way. But I was like, okay, it's just you and me. And I don't even know you, you know? And she was like, hey, your baby's coming really soon. She was like, I'm going to try the forceps one time. If it doesn't work, we're gonna do a C section, and she goes. Either way, your baby's gonna come, and it's gonna be great. And I was like, okay. Like, what's my option? And I was just like, I don't even remember. I was just like, okay. You know. Yeah. And, There's nothing else you can
1: say. You just go. What can you say? Okay, yeah. 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 Surrender. And then
0: all of a sudden, I remember Tim is behind me because he's like grabbing my shoulders, and so I'm like, okay, you're here, great. And then every everybody's telling me now push, now push, and um, I it felt it didn't feel much different than when i was pushing before um but i could just see there were just all these people there it was the er doctor and then like a team of people around and i just see him come out and i was like oh thank god and when he did i when he came out i like followed my eyes with him like they took him away immediately not away away but like they took him to like I can't remember if he cried immediately, to be honest. There was just like so much noise in my head. Yeah. Um, Tim followed him. And, you know, I remember watching Tim for signals of like, good, bad. Like, you know, I was watching Tim's reaction. And Tim was just so overcome with emotion. Yeah. And he was crying, but he would have been crying either way. Yeah. And um, and then he turns around and that's like a big smile and the baby's crying. And I was like, Oh, thank God. So then I finally like was able to like kind of relax, but my body was shaking mm. so much, I had so much adrenaline. I was shaking so much. Somebody comes over to hand me Lee. And I didn't even know if he was a boy or girl then yet, but they come over to hand me the baby. And I held him for realistically. I don't know how long it was. I felt like I was only able to hold him for a couple seconds. Mm. And I was shaking so much that I said, someone, please, please take him. Yes. Cause I thought I was going to drop him. Yeah. Like, I couldn't control my shaking. It wasn't just like, you know, you're shivering. It was like, I was full on, like, I felt like I was convulsing, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And I... For a long time, I felt like a terrible mom because I was like, oh my God, I couldn't even hold him for a couple minutes because oh no, I I mean, I know now, I know now. But I was like, I I couldn't even hold him. And to me, I told myself, I was like, I don't deserve to be a mother. I can't even hold my own baby. I couldn't even birth him properly, properly air quotes, you know what I mean? Like I, I did everything wrong. I beat myself up about it. But now like, how I've reframed the story is that like, no, I did, I did everything I could. I got him hair safely. And when I chose to not hold him in that moment, that was my instinct kicking in being like, I need him. I just need him to be safe right now. It's not about me. I need him to be safe. And so That has made me feel better about it. But for a while in the immediate postpartum and like up to probably two and a half years postpartum, I was really, that was a catalyst for it. But there were also other things, hormonal things for sure. Um, But I had massive postpartum depression for the first three years about Yeah. Um, but that's the birth story and it's wild. So, (laughs) so
1: when you, when they rush you into the ER and then you're on this gurney, where, where do you actually push them out? It's not like right then and there. Did they take you in a, in a room or
0: it It was was in a triage. triage. I I was just separated by curtains. Like I was not in a private room at all. It was like in the ER.
1: Wow. So did they mm-hmm. rush you there? Because your midwife hadn't told you why exactly, right? So, So yeah, why? That's how
0: long this time I didn't know why. And what? I just, I didn't know what happened and I was afraid to ask because I didn't, I was afraid that whatever the answer was, I wouldn't be able to accept it. Like I was going to find some way to have it be my fault. And I told myself, I was like, I gained too much weight. He was too big, you know? How like big was he? So he was born nine and a half pounds. Okay. So that's not- so- Massive. Yeah, it's actually, yeah, it's not that big in the grand scheme of things, um, and like i was a i was a nine pound twelve pounds baby. my brother was around the same I can't remember if he was heavier or lighter, but it was around he was definitely at least nine pounds. Right. my dad was a twelve pound baby what? um what? Ooh. yeah I know and his mother actually died giving birth to him and so that's a mm-hmm. lot of trauma yeah. there and that was a lot of trauma I had um, that I didn't even realize I had but I had internalized it because I knew that birth story oh, wow. and so that was another reason why I was beating myself up so much about like oh my god I'm gaining too much weight like this is in my DNA I'm just I'm bound to be a big person who has big babies mm-hmm. and like yeah I've written a lot of versions of the story where I have the empowering versions and then I have the disempowering. Versions where I was like this was meant For me it was meant to be hard and it was meant To be scary and then I have the other Side where I'm like no this is redemption or whatever You know yeah. but like really You just have to just reconcile that it could be anything or nothing, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. So um, so were was your midwife mostly concerned about the baby's safety or yours or yes, both?
0: His safety. His safety. And I learned actually, so I was on another birth podcast oh. at this point, probably a year and a half ago. And in preparing for that episode, I was like I should find out why I went to the hospital. <laughs> like, no, well, you still didn't know. <laughs> I didn't want to <laughs> you know. I was, I didn't want to know. I was like terrified to know because I was like, he's here now and he's fine and I'm fine. Like, I, I didn't can't believe they more- didn't
1: explain it to you at the time. I mean, maybe because of the chaos, it just didn't happen. Yeah, but-
0: and it, and I think had it been an issue where there would have been a possible um, outcome of like. Long term effects on either of us, yeah. you know what I mean? Long term physical effects or something, then I'm sure somebody would have said something. And who knows, maybe in the moment she was saying it, but I just wasn't able to hear it then. Right, right. Um, but we did have several postpartum, like, uh, you know, sessions, me and GB afterwards, where we talked, you know, she was like, you know, let's process this and everything. And I remember specifically, um, you know, when we got to the hospital part, I was like, I just I don't really wanna talk about it. Mm. And she was like, That's fine. If and when you ever want to talk about it, I'm always here. Okay. Um, and so then I called her up a year and a half ago, you know, Lee's four and a half, almost five, and I was like, Hey, I'm ready to know. Wow. <laughs> and she didn't she didn't skip a beat. She wasn't like, Oh my god, wow. She was just like, Okay, how much do you wanna know? And I was like, I wanna know everything. Oh, and It was simply, I mean, I say simply, but like his heart tones weren't recovering Yeah. when, so in between contractions, the baby's heart tones are, are meant to, in a healthy, you know, quote unquote, typical normal birth, the baby's heart tones are meant to recover. Yeah cause you're squeezing. And then when you're, you know, in between they're recovering, um, that wasn't happening. Like mm. it wasn't like his heartbeat stopped, but it was coming to a scary, like it was very low. Mm. And she said that when we were at home, um, she had been trying to manually manipulate him, um, to get him out. And it was also an issue of his head was just like stuck behind my pubic bone. Uh, it, it just he was she wasn't able to manually manipulate it in a way if if it was like just that and the heart tones were fine, she would have been more comfortable. But having both issues at the mm-hmm. same time, she was like, "Nope, we got." She was like, "I got to make the call," and I'm glad she did. Yeah. And the forceps was just what was needed to be able to manipulate him enough yeah. to slightly turn his head yeah. and get out. And- so,
1: can I ask you about the forceps yeah. experience? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, because I had a vacuum-assisted birth. Oh, you did? Okay. But for similar reasons, because my baby was also in distress. Okay. It was a scary moment that, like, a ton of people rushed in because this his heart tones went down too. And so, wow. um, anyway, she said, "I have to do an episiotomy." She's like, "Do I have your permission to yes. do an episiotomy and oh, vacuum gosh. him out?" And I was like, "Get him out, you know, get him out." Yeah, yeah yes. of course. Like, like in that moment, you just you you need them to yes. just take get take care of the baby. But yeah. So my question for you with the forceps is. Mm-hmm. Um, did they mm-hmm. have to do an episiotomy with that or did you tear no. or how was that
0: i had a one degree tear
1: a oh, one degree um, tear okay which so,
0: is not that bad yeah in the That's, grand scheme of things yeah you know um but yeah luckily no episiotomy luckily okay. um and luckily that was it was minimal tearing and i had the dissolvable scar uh, dissolvable um stitches
1: okay Delivery of a baby performed with the help of forceps or a vacuum device is sometimes called operative vaginal delivery. According to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, assisted vaginal delivery is only done in about 3% of vaginal deliveries in the United States. Whether or not your doctor chooses to use forceps or a vacuum, it mostly depends on their own experience and preference. One of the main advantages of assisted vaginal delivery is that it can often help you avoid having to have a cesarean delivery. So in the grand scheme of things, yeah, it's not great to have to have that, but it's not that bad. So what was the healing like, you know, in the first couple of weeks then? Like, did you feel like you were prepared for that or had anyone like prepared you for the postpartum? No, no, no. (laughs)
0: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. And it was fine. I wasn't actually so surprised by it. It made logical sense that I was gonna be swollen and really sore um down there and I was terrified of my first poop, you know, like oh many people gosh. are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um and you know, those the postpartum underwear and ice packs are a Godsend and mm-hmm. the Perry bottles. Um but yeah, no one really prepared me for that. But I wasn't I wasn't too surprised about okay, so don't like, you know, from the belly down, I wasn't too surprised about what that felt like or anything. What I was surprised about and did not prepare for mentally, because um, you can't really prepare for it physically, was uh, the massive I got so engorged in my breasts mm. and I in total had full on mastitis four times.
1: Oh my god.
0: Can you tell I mean, us what that experience
1: it? like is like? No, oh I had but I was God. I was afraid of it because I know someone that had it and um oh she didn't tell me God. the details of it, but it sounded horrible and so yeah, please tell us.
0: It's horrible. It's essentially when you have a plugged up uh milk duct. Okay. I was producing so much that like him and me and pumping couldn't keep up with it. Mm-mm. And so there were just times where it was just building up and like you know, you let it spray out into your breast pad or whatever, or in the shower and you're like, you hate to waste it, but you're just like, what else am I supposed to do? But it's like, while you're sleeping, I'm just like filling up. It just became untenable. And so I remember the first time I got it, I thought I had some virus or something because Mm -hmm. I got, I was so cold. I had like cold shivers or, you know, where it's like your teeth are chattering. I couldn't have enough blankets on me, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have a fever or anything like that. I was like white as a ghost. I was sweaty clammy I felt like I was dying and I was just like when will the assault on my body end? When <laughs> right. will this end? <laughs> you know, you have pregnancy, you have labor, you have the initial postpartum. Like I'm okay being exhausted and swollen and tired and all and beaten up, but like this, this is entirely unfair. Yeah, you know. And for me, I went a different route. There's many people that go and get you know fluid drawn and they'll get antibiotics and everything done. I was wary of taking antibiotics just because I didn't want that to be in his system. And I didn't want to have to switch to formula when that process was going on. That was just our own personal choice. Right. Uh-huh. And so I went the very like natural route of hot compressions. And then you would use, I would gravity feed, which um, you get on all fours and then you lay your baby down and uh, it's a version of like side laying feeding yeah. where mm-hmm. you're letting gravity take over instead of being sitting upright or standing and nursing that way. Obviously there's always gravity involved, but you want to really encourage gravity. And so I would find the most relief in, I would nurse through the mastitis, which was So painful. It feels Mm. like there are razor blades in your nipples. Yeah. I mean, it already feels like that when you're getting used to it and your nipple and areola are toughening up. Yeah. It felt like I would have to look down. I was like, there's not, is there blood coming out? It feels like there's blood Mm. coming out. Mm. And sometimes there would be pus and I would have to like stop feeding and like kind of, it's like having a white head or a pimple, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. and you squeeze it out and like.
1: But that's probably good because it's getting rid of
0: that infection, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the shower, I would just beat really hot water on it and just squeeze and try to like eliminate as much as possible um you can take wet cabbage leaves like green cabbage leaves and they have like a real um uh detoxifying but also what's the word i'm looking for um if you lay them on there it can draw out okay um Mm -hmm. absorbent yes Mm -hmm. and um so i would lay like i would just sleep naked with like cabbage leaves on me (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah. And there was various like herbs and stuff that my midwives would give me. Did you
1: ever go to a lactation consultant during, you no? Know, and- no,
0: I never did. I mean, I believe in them full, wholeheartedly. They're, you know, godsends for um, for people. But again, like I just, I think it was a combination of like me wanting to just do as much as possible on my own mm-hmm. and I don't know. It's just who I am. Like, I'm not someone that likes to involve a lot of people in things that I do. Hmm. I don't know why. I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I just, it never occurred to me to go see somebody. And it's funny because now I work in the space where like, I'm constantly referring professionals to people. I don't know. For me, I just, I mean, I definitely leaned heavily on Tim to help me out in like practical ways around the house. And then I leaned heavily on GB. Um, and she kind of encompassed a lot of professionals all in one person, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was able to, you know, I don't want you to think that or anyone to think that like, I didn't get advice from anybody. Like she was able to give me tons of advice.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's just, um, I, I was just curious about that. Because something mm-hmm. I just recently learned that I did not know is that with the Affordable Care Act, it's like mandatory mm-hmm. for every insurance to cover a lactation consultant. So
0: oh, amazing. You, I didn't know that either. So
1: right most people don't know it and i had a guest that shared this with me and i was like what and i looked it up and sure enough it's it's something that women have the support and coverage if they need it that most people have no idea and and you know for some people they do feel like they really need help and it's frustrating because it does seem like you should be able to figure it out by yourself
0: you know yeah i know i'm almost like weary of of saying that I mean like I'm just sharing that was my experience no your experience is very valid it's always okay to ask for help and like yeah it can be so scary and so yeah just for me personally at least in that time and space that I was and also like we were we didn't have a lot of money and so that probably did in one way or another influence the decisions I was making where I was like we're gonna figure it out because we have to you know Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I
1: tend to have that personality too, where I go like, I'll just figure everything out by myself and I'm fine. I yeah. need help. And yeah. So can we talk your mental state, right? So you mentioned a little bit about your postpartum mental health struggles. Are you okay with talking about that for a second? Just because I yeah, I think it's important to like raise awareness to the timeline of that.
0: Yes. Postpartum is, you know, commonly thought of as like just a few months after the baby's born. And like, if you're quote, unquote, okay, while you're in that window of time, then like, you're in the clear. But it's like, for me, I think I was just in straight up survival mode for those first few months. And then it was probably I mean, I can't remember exactly. But I mean, it was closer to the year mark where I was starting to really recognize like, hey, I'm not I'm not okay. And I'm someone who like, I have a lifelong struggle with anxiety and depression. Mm. And like, I've been in talk therapy for years, but I had never done medication for various reasons, just because I I think it just goes to my personality where I was like, no, I'll deal with it. I I can do this, but I didn't go on medication until after I had Lee. And like, it literally saved my life because I got to the point where, you know, I was having suicidal ideations Mm -hmm. and I was thinking of, Not necessarily harming Lee, but I was thinking I was like having fantasies of like just disappearing, Hmm. you know, and like abandoning my family and not like starting a new life. But it was like, I just wouldn't imagine I would just be like, I'm just going to drive and drive and drive and then just be gone. Yeah you know? And like, I think a lot of people have those moments where they're like, oh my God, I wish I could just like walk away from this life. But like, for me, I was like, it wasn't like I was like hatching a real plan. But for me, I was like, no, this is, this is ultimately what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. like, I was okay with that because I was like, yeah, I just, I can't do this. And it wasn't like, I, it wasn't necessarily like, I can't do mothering, but I was like, I can't do this. Like I can't do life anymore, you know? Yeah. And like, my mom's been suicidal my whole life. And oh. like, I've Oh yeah. And so like and I've witnessed her attempting suicide multiple times and wow. like um she's undiagnosed, but I have a long history with witnessing and experiencing firsthand what mental illness looks like. Mm. And so when I started feeling and like and as a child, you don't understand it when you're seeing your mother do it. You're just like, what are you doing? You're my mom, you know?
1: Oh, you saw that as a child.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, we have a very complicated relationship. And it's because I've had to put a lot of boundaries up, but I've also had to grow a lot of compassion for her. And ultimately, when I started feeling a certain way, I was like, holy shit, this must have been what she felt like. Mm -hmm. And I remember she would constantly say, like, she would just kind of like, she was always physically there, you know? But like, she was not there for a lot. Mm -hmm. She was like, whoo, there's no one home. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like um, she was like a zombie. It was more like she was just angry all the time, or Mm -hmm. she was incredibly sad and depressed all the time Mm. there would just be like weeks where she would just be in her room crying or there would be weeks where I would just avoid her at all costs because Mm. I was like oh I'm gonna get it you know like Mm. she would just be mad like hair trigger things she would just be so enraged at and so and I know I carry a lot of that with me like I I have the propensity to be get I can have a hair trigger emotional response to things and I can get very depressive and I can get highly anxious and you know call it DNA, call it nurture nature, whatever. It's probably all of those things, but I am highly aware people can occupy many mental states in one lifetime, you know, and it doesn't necessarily define them, but it can define a moment in life. Yeah. And so, um, that's a lot of why I do what I do and why I'm so verbal and outspoken about, Lots of things, specifically mental health in not just birth spaces, but in all spaces. And also, like, my mom is is a deaf immigrant. And so that played a lot into, I think, her mental health issues. And she had two traumatic birth stories with my brother and I. Wow. All of that is to say I carry a lot of her trauma and my own trauma. And so when I started recognizing, I always wanted to be a mom, like I said. but And a lot of those things were I wanted to be a mom in spite of her. Ooh. I wanted to I wanted to be a, I wanted to be the mother I didn't have. Right. And then when I started noticing myself becoming the mother that I felt like I had, I was like, nope, I can't expose Lee to this. I can't. Hmm. Like, oh my god, it's happening. Oh my god, my life has caught up with me. Yeah. And so I like was like I got to go away. I didn't know what away meant. You know, I was just like, I got to go. And so like the easiest thing for me, at least, like it's not easy, but the easiest thing for me was like, I got to just end it, you know? Um, And I was like, I better do it when he's young so he doesn't have too many memories of me. And you know what I mean? And so when I realized that, like, I didn't want to tell anybody about it. I didn't want to tell Tim because I didn't want to freak him out. And he was also going through a lot of mental health issues at the time. And I was like, no, this will implode our family.
1: Yeah. Do you think he had postpartum depression as well?
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Did you know that fathers and non-gestational parents also face major adjustments and changes that accompany having a new child at home, but the struggles that they experience are not discussed as often as they should be. For example, did you know that over 10% of new fathers and non-gestational parents experience postpartum depression and anxiety? They too can feel hopeless, feel fatigued due to lack of sleep, feel insecure, have a hard time adjusting to life with a new baby. They can often feel overwhelmed by financial pressures due to pregnancy, birth, and baby. They can worry that they aren't bonding with the new baby enough. They can hide their emotions and have a hard time with a lack of physical intimacy. They can feel unsure of how to connect with their partner and experience guilt upon returning to work. They too can experience a loss of dreams and plans, feel defeated, feel moody, and feel lonely, even if they're surrounded by children and their spouse. Remember, it's always okay to admit if you're having a hard time. It's okay to be honest with how you're feeling. A family is only as strong as all its members. Talk to a professional, join a support group, get help. It's okay to take care of yourself too.
0: And so then I finally went and saw a doctor and I gave them the light version of it because it can be so scary to like talk about all these things when it's it's in your your
1: own. I'm sorry. No. I'm just wondering the doctor you saw was that a psychiatrist or who?
0: It was just a regular GP. A regular GP? Uh, And I actually felt like they were really, really judgmental of me, even though I get it. Like, it's okay. And I was surprised, because like, I shouldn't, you know, everybody's different. But like, it was a woman doctor, and she was also a mother. And I was hoping that there was going to be more compassion there. I think it was a combination of just bed, bad bedside manner. And it was a cultural difference. Mm. But uh, I felt really judged by them. They immediately just started throwing out diagnoses, which, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. um, And like, I just kind of stopped seeing that doctor. And I went to see a psychologist, a psychiatrist, pardon me, and a combination of talk therapy and really working through some intergenerational trauma yeah. and getting on a prescription, which I definitely think saved my life, you yes, know? <laughs> yes, Yeah. yeah. And so now, you know, I'm on Lexapro now. Um, and I've, like, adjusted my dosage in the years since. But, like, I feel... A lot of people who have never been on antidepressants before are like, what does it feel like, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I can only speak for myself. But, like, for me, I just feel more in control. I don't feel like I'm a different person. I don't feel like it's impossible for me to be sad. Like, I still have a full range of emotions mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. But I know what that feeling of slipping into, like, the dark feels like. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't feel that way when I'm on it. I can I can entertain thoughts. And I can say like, I'm feeling really scared or really lonely or really sad right now, but I don't go there. Yeah. It's
1: kind of like a life raft, you know? Absolutely. It's a buoy. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I know that feeling. I mean, I didn't have depression to that great of a degree, but I still experienced that feeling of like, I'm drowning right now and I'm going to lose it. I cannot breathe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. So Absolutely. that sounds yeah.
1: invaluable, you know, if it, yeah. if it made you ultimately not just save your life, it made you a better mother, you could be there for yeah. your family, you know, yeah.
0: And I do amazing. think that like ultimately you have to take care of yourself in order to be able to take care of others. Absolutely. And so I also like I went right back to work after he was born. I maybe gave myself six weeks, and then I went right back to shooting. Was that because you
1: felt like you had to go make money again quickly, or you just needed the you needed? To- we were
0: okay money wise, but I did know that if I didn't go back to work sooner then later we wouldn't be okay because Tim was in the middle of building out his company. And yes. so he didn't have an income at all. And so we made the decision he would be the full-time stay-at-home parent. Got it. And I would go out and work full-time. And I was very okay with that because I knew immediately after two weeks of being home postpartum, oh, I'm not, I thought I was going to be the stay-at-home mom type. Mm. No, I'm mm-hmm. not the stay-at-home <laughs> mom type. Yeah. My like it is just not my personality. I very much like working. I love working. It gives me a different sense of accomplishment, and I and it's a different identity. Mm-hmm. I love being a mother, but like I I love being a full time working. Mother,
1: yeah, you know,
0: and so that was also a life raft for me because I could focus on other things that would kind of help my mind just be. It, it would just exercise my mind in a different way, you know. Yeah. And It would give me more. It would give me value in a different way. I know that you didn't. Have, I'm just going no. I it.
1: mean, I'm. I'm glad you shared that because I think that's a really important point of view to have. And also, it's it's great. You know, like it's not a one size fit all motherhood. Absolutely. And not and if home. you're surprised by the way that you end up approaching it afterwards, great. You know, like yeah, I
0: think a lot of people discover that they're not cut out for stay at home for either or for either stay at home um, life or for the working outside of home life.
1: Right. Exactly. And yeah. so
0: you know, there, I think people often surprise themselves with what they think is going to be there. You know, I also, you know, when I said I wanted to be a mom before I had kids, I was like, I want to have three, four kids. Now that we've had one, I'm like, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Every now and then I'll like entertain the idea of having another, but then I'm just like, I don't think I can go through all that again. You right, know, right. all the hormonal changes. And like, yeah, it's,
1: it's okay lot. to change your mind. That's like, totally. that's the thing yeah. that I'm learning. We're evolving people. We're not stagnant. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> man, how do you feel that your relationship with your body has changed since becoming a mother?
0: Oh man, I have a really love hate relationship with my body. To be very honest, like I I don't want to quantify my appreciation for my body based on size. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah. I'll just give you like the facts. So I lost a ton of weight. I lost all the baby weight and then some mm. immediately after he was born, and probably for the first two three years postpartum. And I attribute that mostly to a just keeping up with a baby, and then a, a crawler and a toddler who's walking around, but also because of all. Of the breastfeeding, you know, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so, like I said earlier, I breastfed ultimately for five and a half years, mm-hmm. and which is a lot. I mean, really, I only stopped like seven, eight months ago, wow. which is crazy. And so, in that time, in the last two years, I've gained all the pregnancy weight back, and then some. And like, I'm at my heaviest ever, and like, I feel I feel betrayed by my body, and it's mm-hmm. not because of what I look like now. It's because I feel like I have simply no control over it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I just feel so like not at peace with my body. And again, mm-hmm. it's not because I'm at the larger size, but it's because I, I don't know what to expect from it. I feel like I have no control over it. I think maybe I'm just not accepting the aging process. Maybe that's what it is. You know, I just yeah. feel like, oh my God, I don't know what to do with you. You're like your own separate entity and I have no control over you, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, honestly, that's one of the reasons I asked this question is because it's hard on women anyways to reconcile with aging, with our culture. You know, there's Mm -hmm. just um, this idea that we have that we have to look a certain way and giving birth or having been pregnant and giving birth it kind of um your body ch- is changing rapidly and it does permanently change after that and there are some new things that you have to learn to love and get to know about yourself in a new way. And so it's interesting because I feel like I have to sort of embrace the aging process now because like you were saying earlier about looking at those photos of yourself back in the day and being like, "Oh, I looked really great. What was I thinking?" I've had that thought too with photos of myself and it's interesting to like think, well, in 10 years, I'm going to look back at pictures of myself today and say – well, you know, you're great. That and it's going to be like- I I
0: ever criticized that body. Yeah.
1: Right. So it can either be a lifelong uh, looking mm. back and be like, oh, actually you were pretty good, girl. Right. And or- I want to be able to
0: appreciate myself in the now. Exactly. And that's the thing. And it's not like I dislike how I look. I love myself and I love my body, but I don't recognize my body. And I feel- it just feels foreign to me. It's like, can I just feel like I actually possess my body instead of my body possesses me, you know? (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah, that is an it's a strange feeling. I just have like two more quick questions. Yeah. I like to talk about Postpartum sex. And I know it's your child is older than most of the moms I have interviewed so far. So it might be, you know, hard to remember back then. But Mm -hmm. I think that that early period after you have a baby, there's sort of this idea that, you know, you're supposed to return to your sexuality quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How is your journey in discovering your, you know, your new mom sexuality, yeah, and totally. um, how long did you wait to have sex? If you want to talk about it, you know? oh yeah, no, it's
0: fine. I remember not wanting to be touched for a while. I was just so sore down there, and I was like, "That's just, it's just my vagina's seen so much lately. Like, it doesn't. I'm fine <laughs> with it." And like, my libido was down, also. You know, no. I can't remember how long it took. It took a while. I would say probably a couple months. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first couple times after we started. I was like, God! I hope it doesn't. I hope this isn't what it now feels like. Mm. It, I felt like I, like I was just like bones down there, mm. you know. It, it wasn't like it was dry. It was like it felt. I don't know. It just everything felt different and mm. not like good different. It just felt like I did. I didn't feel like my vagina was like back to its normal self. You mm. know, um, it just felt like a hollow cave. <laughs> You know, like it didn't feel like a, a, like a, you know, a juicy peach. It felt like a hollow cave, and I was like, I don't like it. And like, you know, if you don't like it, how much can your partner like it? You know,
1: right, right. (laughs) And it's hard to communicate Um, that too because yeah, and sex is all about sharing an experience, right? So
0: yes, and luckily, I mean, Tim's very, very, very patient. Um, And we honestly, in general, we have very different sexual rhythms Mm -hmm. and we go through periods where we don't have sex for a while. And that's, you know,
1: that's marriage.
0: (laughs) That's marriage. And like, I think I think that would have been the case, baby or not. But it is distinct. There's the before and then there's the after baby. Yes. And that life is very different. And we were much more active before, but that was for multiple reasons. It was before we had kids and it was before we were in our thirties and it was before Mm -hmm. we had been married for over a decade. And you know what I mean? And so now we're very much in the after. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it took us a while, but like, you know, it's all, it's all ebbs and flows. Yeah. I think it's very normal for the birthing person to like, be put off by the end of by the idea of sex for a while
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah. oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, I, I still haven't met a mom who's, like, rearing to go, like, within, yeah. like, a year, usually, yeah. you know? But, but
0: hey, you got it back, like, good for you. Like, Exactly.
1: You know. Everyone's different. But it's also okay to not feel, like, into it, you know? That's I remember I, mean.
0: I did. I was, like, I loved my boobs, though. Because, like, I've always been, like, a very small-chested person my whole life. Mm. And so, like, you know, when I was fully engorged, I probably had, like, Cs. And to me, that was, like, the equivalent of having, like, double Ds. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my god! I've always been like a double A, which uh-huh. is like half of an A. Not A twice, but half of an A. <laughs> and so like, you know, like just to have like a full cup size of any letter was like- Right.
1: <laughs> and that made you feel sexy?
0: Oh, that made me feel incredibly sexy. You uh, know? I love that.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, your know, breasts can I be know. such a complicated area of your body after you give birth. And for some people, it's like completely not sexual, even if they look amazing. Oh, you know I, what I mean?
0: I did not really want to be like touched or anything there. But I was just like, look at me. Oh, like, yeah. You
1: know? <laughs> Love it. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. And then my last question is just you've seen so much. of what the birth experience is like and I guess to boil it down to one piece of advice is very difficult but is there anything that comes to mind that a new mom who might be pregnant right now going on the journey for the first time in their life you know like what would you say to them yeah just what what sort of advice would you have for anyone who's about to enter the battle zone here
0: Mm. You can't pour it from an empty cup. And so you have to take care of yourself. And that can look like many different things. And I know that what a lot of people, primarily women, primarily birthing people, you know, it is very hard for for birthing people to, to ask for help and to, to do what they need to have any form of self-care. And like, you know, I hate that self-care has been marketed so much that I think it immediately conjures up the idea of manicures and massages and all of that, which mm. like, sure, if that's what self-care looks like to you, then great, go for it. But to me, I think self-care is much more holistic than that it's your mind and your body. And so, you know, take care of your mental health. If that means talking to somebody professional, yes, your friends and your loved ones are good, but they are not your therapists. And Mm -hmm. that is something that, you know, is really important to know the distinction. (laughs) And if that means going on medication, if that means altering your diet, then do whatever you can within your means. I know that a lot of things feel out of reach because, Therapy can be expensive, you know, and I don't want to say, but do it anyways, because I know that that's not an option for a lot of people. There are services out there. There are mental health services that are accessible to folks. And so asking for help to see if there are resources that are more cost efficient for you, like that, is a step in the right direction of getting the help you need really make the effort to prioritize yourself and like try to block out as much noise that might be coming from yourself or your loved ones that are saying like, Hey, that's selfish. You know?
1: Mm. Yeah. Cause like,
0: I do think that we can be our own worst enemies and say like, Oh, you know, I don't need to prioritize myself. It's my baby. It's my husband, it's my partner that I need to prioritize. But it's like, if you're constantly putting yourself last that yeah. can do a lot more damage, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, totally. That's what I would
0: say in the very long way.
1: <laughs> no, that's beautiful advice. Totally love that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. You're so welcome.
0: Thank you. I'm that so honored that
1: you came on here oh and applause. shared all this. And um, I'm such a big fan again of your work. It's and sweet. I just, I, um, I really appreciate all that you're doing to to help Thank everybody. You. So Likewise. Thank you again to Heather for her incredible story while she's so vulnerable and she has such a deeply empathetic point of view that really, really shines through her art and her work. So go check out the links I posted in the show notes to see more about her. If you like this show, the best way to support us is to rate, subscribe and review on Apple podcasts, share it with your friends and anyone you think it might be helpful or interesting to. And you can also buy me a cup of coffee by clicking the support link in the show notes and sending a one time donation. Visit birthshow.com for tons of free resources and lists of supplies that will help you on your own pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey. And join our tribe on Instagram, at birthshow, at birthshow. Thank you again for joining me today. I look forward to being with you again next week. My name is Christy Williams, and this is Birth. This is a SYNC Studios production. Let